Welcome to season two of the Retail Tea Break. My name is Melissa Moore, founder of The Retail Advisor. As a consultant, mentor, trainer and lecturer, I enable retailers and makers to reach their potential through sales growth and excellence in customer experience. I'm also your host of The Retail Tea Break. Each week, I'll be joined by industry experts, retailers and makers to decode the myths, share stories and their insights into this industry of ours. So if you enjoy listening to The Retail Tea Break, subscribe to the podcast and share it with others in the industry too. So sit back, grab that cup of tea and listen in. Welcome to The Retail Tea Break. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by a true retailer. From founder of her own luxury e-commerce site to managing director of an online platform, with over 180 million registered users worldwide. And she's received an MBE for her services to fashion. This retail expert truly understands e-commerce, data collection, and most importantly, the customer. Sarah Curran Usher, MBE, welcome to the Retail Tea Break. Hi there. You know, it feels really weird when you hear that sort of laid out. It's like, gosh it's only me <laughs> oh but and you know what and that's what I love and that's what I'm so excited about this this chat is that you are an ordinary retailer and I mean that in the nicest possible way but you've just been in the industry for so long so look in the time it takes to boil a kettle which is about two minutes okay. tell us all about your background uh, and and you kind of in the retail industry yeah so I will start by saying I've never really had any formal training um, in business or uh, in retail. I went into retail opening my first fashion store in North London, which became a bit of a destination store. And the reason why it became a destination store is because I think we applied a little bit of emotional intelligence in terms of let's make this a really special um environment let's create something that feels like a real treat let's make sure she leaves with beautiful sort of um logoed bags and um you know let's do trunk shows and let's do private sort of personal shopping sessions and and it became really popular and then we um, moved that business into online but I still took this approach of how can I make the customer feel really special and feel that they've treated themselves with their purchase whatever the price point is and that's where I always come from a place of real big really being passionate about the customer and understanding her at a real kind of small and, and nuclear level. It's incredible. And I love the way even back then, and we're talking realistically, what, 20 years ago, you were talking about customer experience, then you're talking about emotional intelligence. These things were unheard of. Let's be really honest, this wasn't the done thing. No, I think it was very much retail was led by um, men in suits. And it was just it was commodity, whatever the product was, was just a commodity. And and I feel that when you are talking specifically to a customer about fashion, and let's face it, don't get me wrong, the business of fashion, I find it fascinating. It's, it's hugely important to our economy. However, fashion itself is there to make the customer feel delighted. 
And that's really what it's all about at the end of the day. So I always come from that place versus a suit that looks at, you know, what is the direct ROI? Don't get me wrong, ROI is super important and I'm not denying that. But I think sometimes, sometimes we need to understand at a broader, more holistic level, what certain sort of ROIs should be, should they be hard or soft KPIs? That's incredible. And I suppose you were at the kind of leading edge of fashion, even in bricks and mortar back then, but you were also there, I suppose, at the beginning of fashion's kind of going online, the whole e-commerce phenomenon as it began. What was that initially like? It was a huge learning curve. So everything that we did was done from a place of learning and trial and error. So there was no sort of PDF or online course or YouTube video about creating an online store, e-com store. And it was very much trial and error, even down to returns. So we would send out the packages and the, you know, the, the orders and then sometimes they would come back and I'd be like, holy cow, why don't they like it? What's wrong with it? And, and it was only then that you go, okay, I've got it. So it's like, you know, when I've got my pet store in, in North London, um, Kirsty might take the item into the fitting room. She might go and buy it or she might not or exchange, you know, and it was just this, essentially the fitting room happened to be wherever they received the order and tried the item on. And so all these things were really learnt through, through our own discovery. And so I've, I've kind of, during the last 20 odd years, I've just retained this sort of almost barometer understanding of the impacts up and downstream for the retailer, but also the customer as well. So I love, I love my job. I love retail. I love the customer and I want the customer to feel special about their purchase and feel that they are, um, you know, that, that retailers value them. I think that's really important as well. I come from, you, I'm a customer at the heart of it. Yeah. And then I'm a retailer. And I absolutely, I 100% agree with that. And I think with everything I've read that you've said and with the kind of the videos or even have said the YouTube kind of interviews that you've done, you are the consumer. You seem to put yourself in the position of being the consumer wherever you've worked to make sure it works for that retailer. Oh, totally. But that to me seems so logically normal. Yeah, but it's not done. But it's, and that's what's so bizarre. Um, And and I I think this because I've come from, I, I didn't follow the traditional route. And I did, I've done things differently and I've done things outside of the norm because I've done it from a place of what seems right at this moment, a kind of a clean piece of paper versus a legacy or something that we have to keep doing because this is how we've always done it. One of my absolutely most hated phrases um, ever. So, yeah, so it's kind of a tricky one because for me, it just seems like a total no brainer to always put yourself at that um, through the customer's eyes and and sort of live and breathe that experience through their their eyes. I, I absolutely completely agree. And it definitely seems to be the retailers, be it physical or online, that are getting it right right now are the ones with that customer centricity. They are the ones that truly believe that every decision in the organization has to be made with the customer in mind. But 
bringing us back then as I said you've been in the industry so long and I have to stop saying that because it's it's not an age thing but it, I think it comes with this true experience and expertise that you have you saw the kind of avalanche of fashion fall into e-commerce you've seen that grow and grow and you were really involved in the digital space even pre-COVID was it starting to change even before the pandemic? It was changing, but it wasn't changing quick enough. It, we were still moving at this super slow pace. And, and I understand why. And it was because many retailers and brands were setting out their digital roadmap. But we were at the time expecting to start to see this increase around 2025. And then what, you know, through to then the the last half of um, of the decade. And what COVID did was just warp spread, bring that really into a very condensed moment. And some retailers, many retailers weren't prepared for it. Their roadmap was really out of sync with what they needed to do and the pace that they needed to go. And so it was a real wake up call. And the thing that, again, a reason why I love e-com so much is that it, it is fast it moves at a pace that is really inconvenient for retailers. I mean, and it means that you are never at a position of, okay, we're done. Because the retail, the customers are constantly consuming, you know, everything that's digital. So they are becoming more and more native and more and moving into these other touch points. And so everything, you know, you can buy a car now through an app without even having to. You know, I've I've bought wedding dresses, sofas, beds, everything without the need to go in and touch it and feel it and try it on or sit on it or lie on it. And and so with that pace, the retailers and brands need to constantly keep on, you know, ahead of, of where they where their competitors are, but not too far ahead of the customer. Just at that point where you know you're not you're not losing them, but you're not boring them either. Um, and innovation is really important, but don't waste my time with innovation that's just gimmicky. Waste my uh, you know bring and enhance an experience that saves me time, that gives me greater personalization, that enhances browsing. Um, and that's and I love it. That's what I love about retail and, and retailers and brands need, do need to get a little bit more sort of up with the pace. Um, that's really, really important. Sometimes we're just too we're not agile enough. We're not fast enough to keep up with this new sort of acceleration, which is so exciting. And that leads me beautifully into Tell us all about TrueFit, because this to me is, this is the innovation. This is where it really works with the customer. You know, it helps supports the customer, but my goodness, it to me is using the best of all the customer experience, all the retail tools. It's win-win for the business and the retailer and the consumer. Yeah, Let's totally. TrueFit. So TrueFit is, we invented the size and fit solution. Uh, back in 2010, um, but the initial uh, founders met in 2005 and also really passionate about the customer, really passionate about solving the issue, which is size and fit. 
So over the 12 plus years, the business, the platform has been um, absorbing data across global brands and retailers. And, you know, we've transacted in over $300 billion worth of sales and returns. Uh, we've absorbed 17,000 brands, product catalogs. Wow. We have, you know, sort of millions, millions using the platform. So the what we call the genome, which is the brains of the platform, is ingesting and the algorithms are really sort of observing and, and fine tuning uh, moment by moment. So what we do is from a, we approach the problem of size and fit from two, from two angles, as I always explain it, and we deliver pure one-to-one -one personalized recommendation. So we take a brand's product catalog and their sizing, and we normalize it. We know that there's an in consistency of size um, structure within fashion brands. Um, across the the UK high street as an example then you open it globally to the world and it's a bit like mm -hmm. um, but then we also know that even within a brand there can be inconsistencies on sizing dependent on where the item is manufactured so we normalize the sizing and so if something is uh, comes up um, is a size large but it comes up as a, a size medium let's say we will we look at that that sort of information and we correct it for the customer so we normalize the, the product catalog from a retailer's perspective we then create an individual thumbprint let's say for each um, customer each registered user and member of truefit so they know me they understand uh, what size i i am but also what size i prefer my my items to be so I always kind of like uh, jackets that are a little bit oversized t-shirts that are a little bit sort of tighter um, so actually it's all very well having size and fit solutions but you also need to understand what the customer's preference in is in how they wear it and then we bring the two together and that's what really makes TrueFit unique. The other thing that's really important is we then give that data back to the retailer or brand, which is another really rare part of what mm. we do because many other size and fit solutions uh, retain the, the data themselves and they don't pass it and, and give it back. So what that enables our partners to do is to really create these hyper-personalized experiences uh, within their CRM campaign um, and within even just the customer experience or the customer journey rather. So if you look at, let's say, JD Sports, we have size and fit recommendation on the product listing page. Um, so they will tell me when I'm looking through all the sort of, you know, the, the trainers or whatever it might be, it will tell me what size I need to be in that brand. And it will also, if it doesn't show the size, it's because it's not available in my size. So it's just a really, it really enhances. We believe that we should not be a friction point in the experience. We should be there to mind, ease, you know, ease the customer experience and help the customer convert. We're not there to create barriers of consideration. So, yeah. I, I love it. And what I love is, again, this isn't just 
a process. This is not just a thing that, as you say, sits on someone else's platform. There's a true emotional connection, not only with obviously the way you describe it, but in everything I've read and even the usability being on the site itself. But what struck me, and I know we've spoken about this before, and actually I think it's going to strike a chord with an awful lot of people when I say it, that the impact on the customer, you've said, the negative emotional connection that it can create when you've bought something online that you think is a size 10 or a 12 and it gets home and it doesn't fit you. And that really struck an emotional chord with me. It happens all the time and it's not on anymore. No, and it really upsets me as well because um, I know I know how it feels to go in and have your day ruined because you know this you can't you can't find anything because you don't either feel that anything fits you or and you know what it's just it's not on and it doesn't need to be that way um and retailers and brands need to wake up to the the sizing inconsistency within their catalog and the impact that it does have emotionally to to their to their customer be them you know he she they but also you know for teenagers and it's things like that that make me really angry that we haven't sorted our ourselves out yet and we don't understand how you know there is these it's almost like just the constant little kind of peckings that can really kind of get upset people where we don't need to um, and we need to sort of really tighten up our act when it comes to this size, rec- the, the sizing consistency within a brand. Um, so, yeah, it really upsets me. It really annoys me on behalf of, you know, of the customers. No, and I agree. It's damaging, as you say, and it comes to an age range, that cohort as well, especially at that early age, where it is shocking that you you want to go and order something that you think fits you and it doesn't. And actually, when you think about it realistically, Fashion has such an impact on who we are, what we do, how we feel, that it's incredible that it's taken such a strong brand. And I know it's a real driver for your brand to Mm. get this fit consistency, to give that smile or or that true emotional connection to the customer. And again, it's something that seems so obvious and hasn't been done. So it's joyous that actually, again, it's taken a company like TrueFit to say, hold on, this is the way it needs to be. It's not a nice to do. It actually should be compulsory that we know the size that your brand is. Totally. And if if retailers and brands are willing to accept the fact that their range, their clothes can boost a woman or a man or or anyone's confidence, then we also have to accept the fact that it can do the opposite as well. And um, and we forget that conveniently. We forget that part. Mm. We don't focus on it because it's oh, it's okay. But actually, because we've seen this digital acceleration, because many of the stores were closed, um, we retailers started to see the issues that they were having with sizing because it was just sitting dormant in warehouses. Whereas if it's in the stock, if it's in a store, it moves around. It's, you know, it's kind of not quite so visible. But when it's sitting there and it's invisible, you start to go, yeah, okay. So we're we're talking to a lot of brands and retailers um, across the EU. And 
and I think everyone is starting to wake up and, and see it as this should be a positive thing and not just, you know, let's just tick a box and, and pretend the issue isn't our problem because it is our problem. Absolutely. And I suppose then coming back to something that you've talked about and something that's really, I'm going to be really honest, I hadn't really thought about it when it came to e-com, but I read that you'd said that data-driven consumer experiences, you know, truth that builds and establishes trust and loyalty. So here yeah. we are now with this whole e-com, you know, part of retail, which is growing, as you said, at this phenomenal rate. But we're now starting to introduce the whole human skills aspect to e-commerce, trust, loyalty, integrity, all these things that we want from people that we buy from and you're delivering it. Mm. Yeah, but again, for me, it's it's almost a bit of a no brainer. If I am going to a store um, and let's let's take out the let's take out kind of um, economic kind of impact for a moment because that, that does change things. But if I'm going regularly to a store, I am time poor, a lot of people are, and, um, and it's not relevant to, um, to sort of demographic sort of cohorts, everyone, you know, you might have sort of, um, you might be a, a primary school teacher, you, you know, you might, work in the city everyone's time is is valuable to them and if you can help get me to what I want because you understand me you understand my size and you're just delivering in front of me more and more products that I that I want that I that I like um then that's that's kind of driving the um, the one of the first kind of pillars of loyalty because it's convenience online ultimately mm. is is there for convenience and if we I've always said omnichannel is great but you do need to understand what each of your what each of your channels is there to deliver so online is about more um, more options to to see sort of range and it's about ease of accessibility and that's fine um but and, and just work to it and enhance it and do that really really well and you will find that that is one of the key pillars of of loyalty what we find with truefit is we take regular uh, shoppers and we turn them into uber shoppers for our partners because there's this trust element there's this confidence in the size and so people tend to buy more um and and I think that, you know, that is a that's a great thing because both sides win. You know, there's the customer gets what they like and um, and there's a trust element. And it's again, it's about removing that cognitive um, and that hesitation in the customer experience of the customer journey, which is really, really important when you you're trying to build a world class digital um, platform. It's incredible. It really, really is. Um, data. When it comes to the average e-com site out there, maybe it's small to medium-sized retailer. From what you've seen that Truefit can pull, what sort of data should retailers be looking at, using, kind of almost, you know, enhancing and embracing that they are collecting that they don't realise they have? Yeah. Well, we have started to partner with... Um, BigQuery and Google. So we work with them and other other leading 
platforms as well to, to help our partners mine the data. But essentially, it's about really driving that hyper-personalization from a CRM mm. campaign. Um, but it's also about, one of the challenges that I always had was that sometimes the data took, it wasn't sort of in real time to mine. So you had data in different parts of the business, um, dependent on where that data was coming from, from be it sort of if it was historical sale data, it would come, it would be sat within the buying and merchandising teams, or then it might be with e-com or digital marketing, et cetera. We have this one point of view, which means that you can slice your data in so many different ways. You can, um, and it's relevant to so many different parts of the business. So retailers brands should be looking at how can I drive a full price selling? As yeah. a, as a key. Um, how can I ensure that my inventory volumes align to who my my demographic are? Um, and, you know, there are parts of that data that can really be used to aid the buying teams or the design teams and also can really use uh, can be used to aid and solve for size and fit at, you know, at, at the point of design. Mm. Um, and the point of manufacture so that's kind of like it's almost like going back to basics and yeah sure that you know let's just just kind of get really data hygiene tight on every touch point so you know so it's it's sort of that element we then help to understand um you know cohorts age groups locality you know that again another basic but then we can really kind of laser in and go deep in into um into sort of uh, different parts of a better understanding of the customer um you know who are you targeting on your social channels um and how are you engaging and using that data for crm so there are all these different points and then you know there should be retailers should be looking at predictive um, habits as well. So let's get a better understanding of what they might be wanting to buy in advance. Um, and, and so I think that's, that's the really kind of exciting part as well. So yeah, so the data is there that really can be used to slice and dice and make it a real sort of personalized one-to-one -one experience for the, the, the partners core customer I love that back to basics with data I think there's a real message that use it I think that's the first point of call as you've said there get back to basics with it and actually use what you have because there's so much out there um an interesting one and I don't know if you have an answer to this what do you think the future of e-com looks like short term long term where do you think we're going I think it's really I just think it's really exciting I I think it is going to be um, even more sort of uh, automated in many ways. Um, mm. If you look at how you shop, how I shop um, for all things, be it groceries, be it beauty products, be it, you know, fashion or luxury or home or whatever. Um, I think it's about... Um, looking at the customer 
through the lens of not just one product that they're buying, but through the lens of a real 360 of that human and that customer, yeah. all different touch points. Um, I think when it comes to the in-store experience, let's dial up technology in store to create this really amazing, immersive experience. Um, I think technology is going to be a really, you know, really interesting to watch how we how we sort of get over the current um, issues around um, augmented reality uh, with regards to the the fitting room, you know, where yeah. any sort of um, see what it looks like type of technologies, but the the experience is really bad and you know. Do not put anything live on your website until the experience is absolutely spot on because um, it's just embarrassing. You're not doing yourself any favours. And the customer, why on earth would they use it? Um, why? You know, again, that comes through, that goes back to think like a customer, be that customer. Um, and yeah, so I just think everything is going to be connected. You know, I was reading articles about the car industry and cars now um, with the ability to sense um, your heart rate when you're driving wow. um, and massage um, sort of each seat massage kind of kicks in and then the temperature adjusts in your in your car and um, you know it might even make an appointment for you know for a massage everything is going to be connected together yeah. um, and I just think that's just so expensive exciting but let's not forget that we're humans who still need human connections so we're not going to completely live in this virtual world don't go too far down a rabbit hole but always look strive to to always create the solution to just take take a take a monkey off someone's back you know make it easier for them make it a no-brainer I love that human to human connection. It, it's definitely all to play for. So look, final question then, what's coming up for you or even the brand Truefit over the next few months? Oh my God. Mm. Um, so I only get more competitive. As love I got it. <laughs> so things uh, that are happening for Truefit are you know, the business is really accelerating in the EU and beyond, which I'm so excited about. And that drives me even more. So doing, um, you know, really sort of through the lens of how can we create an enhanced experience for, for the customer? And we've got some really exciting sort of next generation product launching this year. Um, and you know, staying close to the product team in the US to, you know, to really be, to understand what's also coming down the tracks in terms of the capabilities of AI. Um, we're always looking at next sort of level innovations in technology as a business to potentially partner with as well. So yeah, so from our, our perspective, I'm passionate about growing up our, our sort of um, our presence in the EU and um, and I'm loving it me personally that's kind of what I love I love to do so yeah 
How exciting. Oh, I'm really, really looking forward to see what, what's coming down the road then. So look, before I let you go today, just yeah. to say, if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please like, share and subscribe. Connect with Sarah, follow her on LinkedIn. Um, Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure today. Thank you so much for being on the Retail Tea Break. Oh, thank you so much for asking. I've loved it. Brilliant stuff. Take care, everyone.